If you would, grab your Bibles and let's go to John chapter 6 together tonight. Tonight we will be putting in the last installment of this series that we've been in, where we've taken a look at some of the most seemingly absurd things that Jesus said throughout his time here on the earth. And my prayer is that you have been challenged to start taking Jesus seriously again if you haven't been recently. Because, listen, he's looking for faithful followers, not flippant followers. That's why we must see his call as being serious, his teaching as being serious. And if we've responded to that call, we must take it serious. And if we believe in those teachings, we must obey them seriously as well. And so we find ourselves in another serious moment as we come to our passage for tonight, and it's worth noting as we get into this that in John chapter 6, there is a whole lot of different things that are transpiring and taking place. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He sent the disciples by boat ahead of him to a city called Capernaum. And remember, on their way there, they got tangled up in a storm. And Jesus from the mountain saw that they were having difficulty making any progression. And so he came walking to them on the water. He calmed the seas, and eventually they made it to the destination that he had sent them towards to begin with. And as they arrive in the next place, the crowds that Jesus has previously fed, the next day are beginning to look around and wonder where Jesus has gone. And so he's performed this miracle throughout the course of the night. He's gotten on the boat with his disciples, and he's gone across the sea to the next town. The next day comes around, and they're looking to find where Jesus went. And so they track him down in this next town that he has gone to. And it's at this point that after the crowds find him again, Jesus begins teaching them. And it's during that discourse, he says what could be the wildest statement of them all. John chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 25. And I want you to be able to get the full context of what's taking place. So we're going to have story time for a little bit. So a pretty good chunk of passage. But I think it's important that you see the fullness of this story and not just bits and pieces of it. So in verse 25, God's word says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe And all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, 
that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I want to reread verses 53 and 54 one more time. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Are you serious, Jesus? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. What could Jesus have possibly meant by making what seems to be such an absurd statement? This massive crowd of people that Jesus had miraculously fed had followed him to the next city thinking maybe they'd see another miracle. Maybe they could experience at his hands another free meal. How many of you love a free meal, by the way? So these, we can't fault these people for wanting to follow Jesus to the next town, right? I mean, he just fed them a free meal. And so they're trying to find him the next day, maybe thinking that the same thing would happen around lunchtime. 
again, but we see real quick that mealtime is over. And Jesus has gotten serious. He has told these people that if they want eternal life, they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, we know that Jesus didn't literally mean that. Jesus is not advocating, obviously, for cannibalism. But at the same time, let's keep in mind that we sitting here today as we read this story, we have the benefit of full context. We can look at this picture from a distance, so to speak, and know in hindsight what Jesus is trying to get at. We know he's not trying to make a physical, literal point of devouring his flesh and drinking his blood. We know he's making a spiritual point. We have the benefit of context. These people in the moment, if you'll put yourself amongst them, they didn't have that benefit at the time. They're hearing these words straight out of the mouth of Jesus, and they were thinking literally. They were thinking physically. And as they heard Jesus say that, they were astounded. They were shocked. And the Scripture tells us that they were even offended at what came out of Jesus' mouth and what he was saying because they were thinking physically. They were thinking Jesus was being quite literal in this moment. So I can like imagine the scene. Imagine you've got like, because it was, it was men, women, and children, right, that Jesus fed. And so all these people followed him over to the next city. Now I can imagine as Jesus begins talking all this, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and you've got mamas kind of wigging out a little bit and they're covering the ears of their kids. They're like, oh, what are you talking about? At the same time, you've got other people standing off to the side and they're kind of just like, Ooh. they're covering their mouths. Moms are covering their child's ears in one moment. Jesus is filling their stomachs. In the next moment, he's churning their stomachs. So shocking, so offensive, so radical. It was to them that we're told many turned back. They were, they were literally repulsed by what Jesus had said, and he's once more, I think, showing us his seriousness. This is serious. They said, this is, his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who, who can receive this? It could almost quite literally be understood as, who could stomach this? This is almost sickening to hear. So what is the point? What is Jesus Saying, what does he desire for these people and for us here today, reading this same encounter a few thousand years later to see and to understand and to receive? Well, I think first and foremost, he wants us to understand that he's serious about salvation. Remember what we discussed at the very beginning of this journey. Jesus often speaks to what he sees, and what he sees is the heart and what he sees in the hearts of these people is a serious need for salvation. And so he turns and he teaches them, using this miracle that he had just performed with bread as a living illustration, and he begins telling this massive crowd, what you really need isn't physical bread, but spiritual bread. You don't need to be saved, in other words, Jesus is saying, from your starving you need to be saved from your sinning. And so Jesus began to declare to him, to them that he is that salvation. He is the bread of life. And then he goes on to explain even further that this is the whole purpose 
of why his father has sent him to begin with. So if you go back and look in verse 38, Jesus explains, this is the whole reason of why I'm here. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus says the whole reason, the whole purpose behind why I am here is to give you this bread of life, is to offer salvation and forgiveness and restoration from your sins. 20 different times in this passage, Jesus makes some kind of reference to salvation. This is the food that endures eternal life. This is the true bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. On the last day, those who have believed in me, I will raise them up. Whoever feeds on me has eternal life. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. Over and over and over and over again, Jesus makes reference to salvation. He would hardly speak two sentences without making some kind of salvific reference Towards these people, why so much emphasis? Why exaggerate it so much? Why repeat it over and over and over again? I'll tell you why. Because he's serious about the salvation of lost souls. Jesus' incarnation on this earth brought with it many things. Yes, there were healings, there were raisings, there were teachings, there were castings, there were providings. But they all worked in tandem to accomplish the primary mission of his coming, which was to rescue. Jesus' mission was one of rescue. From the foundations of the earth, his father had a will. His father had a plan because he knew of humanity's rebellion. And that plan from the beginning never changed. It never deviated. God in his perfect will and his perfect sovereignty never had to rewrite the details of salvation's plan. He had it in place from the beginning of time. And that was to send his son to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect, sinless life on this earth. So at the right time, he could go to the cross. He could willingly lay down his life. He would shed his precious blood. He would go in the grave and three days later be raised again so that we who here today could call upon his name and he says believe in him and have eternal life so serious about salvation is our Lord he died for it what are you so serious about that you would give your life for what could be a more bold serious statement than for the God of all creation to be slaughtered on a tree that he created so that his creation could be restored back to him to begin with. It's amazing. It is incredible what our God has done to bring us back into a right relationship with him. Jesus was trying to get these people to see it's your souls, not your stomachs, that need rescuing. They couldn't get it at the time. They couldn't see it at the time. And it's understandable. Because there may be people sitting here tonight who still haven't seen it yet either. But the grace of God never stops in its pursuit. Where are my bread lovers at? Got any bread lovers? No, no shame. No shame in being a bread lover. You know, it, it's funny because it's suggested that there are around 100 different types of bread around the world now. 
And humanity over time, we've learned to do a lot of different things with bread. We like to dress it up. You know, most of us, you're not just going to go to the, the grocery store and grab a loaf of plain bread off the shelf and just sit down and open that up and have it as a snack. We like to dress our bread up a little bit. We like to sweeten it up. We like to do some cool things to it. But a lot of us are probably bread lovers, much more to the point than we need to be, in all honesty. And I mean, I'm thinking like right now, you could go right down the road here to Subway and get like six different kinds. Just in that shop, six different kinds of bread that flavored in different ways have different kind of textures to them to fit your bread-desiring needs. We got breadsticks. We got garlic bread. We got stuffed bread. We got cheesy bread. We got banana bread. We got zucchini bread. We got monkey bread. We got cinnamon bread. We've got pumpkin bread. We've got yeast rolls. Hallelujah. <laughs> Can I get an amen on the yeast rolls? Holy cow. We got cinnamon rolls. We got honey buns. We got muffins. We got donuts. We got biscuits because we're here in the South. We got fritters that you can do all kinds of things with. We all about some bread. All about it. But I want you to notice something right here. Uh, uh, don't, please don't miss this. Jesus likens bread to life. Some of you are thinking, hey man, bread is my life. Jesus likens bread to life. And so there's something important to see here with the point that he's making. Listen, listen. The world has all kinds of different bread to offer you. And the world will do all kinds of sorts of different things to dress it up and make it look good, make it appealing, and make it enticing, to make your mouth water. It's going to whisper, the world's going to whisper to you with this bread over here, satisfaction and fulfillment. And then if that doesn't work, it's going to take another variety of the same thing and it's going to put it in front of you and say, try this one. This fulfills, this will satisfy. And if you don't take that bait, guess what? It's got a whole other variety, it's got a whole other kind. It'll sit in front of you again. Try this kind. This will fulfill. This will satisfy. You gotta taste this. You gotta have a bite of this. You gotta try this out. But Jesus says there's only one true bread. And I am that bread. See, the enemy loves to take God's creation and make a real close copy of it. To make a real, 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 real close counterfeit. That's why Jesus says, I'm the true bread. Because you need to understand there's a lot of false breads out there. There's a lot of bread that might look good. There's a lot of bread that you think might fulfill. There's a lot of bread that you think might satisfy. There's a lot of bread that you think might be the best that there is. But I'm telling you, there's only one true bread. And by the way... It's me. I am the bread of life. There is no other fulfillment. There is no other satisfaction. There is nothing that tastes as good as me. And so can I take a moment just for a second? I know we've got some young boys and girls in the room tonight. Listen to me, young kids. Jesus is the true bread. This world will offer you counterfeit after counterfeit after counterfeit. It's going to set all kinds of things in front of you to make you think 
that this is what's fulfilling, to make you think that this is what's satisfying, to make you think that this is what you need to go after, that this is what you need to pursue. But Jesus is the one true bread. Only he will fulfill. Only he will satisfy. Only he is good. Students in this room tonight, Jesus is the one true bread. The horrors that you are going to face going through school, going through college, are only just now beginning to surface in the greatest of their magnitude. And you need to remember, above all else, out of all the other things that the world will set in front of you to go after and attempt you with and to get you to try to fall into, Jesus is the one true bread. My young adults in the room tonight, Jesus is the one true bread. It's not career. It's not fame, it's not status, it's not climbing the corporate ladder. Jesus is the one true bread. My middle-aged adults, Jesus is the one true bread. And for some of y'all specifically tonight, I feel like the Lord has laid upon my heart to tell you that you're tasting some different things. And you need to be reminded, only he satisfies, only he fulfills. My senior adults, Jesus is the one true bread. Please don't forget that as you finish your race. What a shame it would be to live a life of faith and then get to a certain point and forget about how good the Lord tasted in so many of your past years. Jesus is the one true bread. There is salvation in no other name other than him. And if you have never had this true bread of life, Jesus says, come and get some of this. If you're here tonight and you've never tasted this bread... You've never experienced the goodness and the grace and the love and the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who I'm teaching about, who we've been singing about. Don't leave here tonight without getting a bite. Trust me, it's good. Saints, is it good? Don't leave here tonight. There's a free meal on the table once again. Jesus paid for it. The bill is taken care of. Come and get you a bite. He says, you'll never hunger again. You won't have to keep going back and doing those same things. You won't have to keep searching this world over and over and over trying to find some fulfillment, trying to find some satisfaction because I'm it. He who tastes me will never hunger again. Jesus is serious, church, about salvation. Don't forget about yours. Don't forget about those who need it. But he's also serious about consumption. He's serious about consumption. Just as Jesus made reference to salvation over and over and over again, we also see him make reference to consumption over and over and over again. And where the first half of this teaching of his, I think, concentrated on the sinner, the back half kind of concentrates more on the saint. Now, when I say consumption, I literally mean consuming. I mean eating. I mean feeding. I mean taking in. And really from verse 52 on, we see Jesus push this imagery of consumption, where time and time again he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, feed on my flesh. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on me abides in me. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So we see it time and time and time again. Feed, 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 drink, 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 eat, eat, eat. So here, let's make the point real simple. You know what you do with bread? You eat it. You consume it. And Jesus then says, I am the bread of life. So in short, Jesus says, eat me. Consume me. Take me in with your life. Grab a hold of me and everything that I am and swallow me up. Jesus is telling these people to let go of all that they have so that they can see he's all that they need. 
You want to know why the, the serious statements of Jesus, and so many of them have revolved around kind of this same thing, where you have to let go of everything, where you have to walk away from everything, where you have to forfeit or sacrifice everything, because the only way for you to see that Jesus is all that you need is for you to let go of everything else that you think you have to have. That's why the call. That's why it rotates so many times around the same verbiage where Jesus is saying, leave all that you have. Give away all that you have. Turn away from all that you have. Because only then will you be able to see with fullness that I am the only thing you will ever need. Some of you can't see the fullness of how filling Jesus is because you've got too much other stuff you're holding on to. And so Jesus says, let go of all this and you will taste and see that I'm the only thing that you need. And in the process of telling them, the process of him telling these people what could radically change their life, he senses offense. People will always be offended by the good news of the gospel, even though it's good news. But Jesus senses offense amongst the crowd and then not much longer afterwards, we see that many of them turned away and they stopped walking with him which really reveals they weren't true disciples at all, you know? I mean, can I just encourage you to diagnose your life in a serious moment just for a second? If you can only follow Jesus for so long and to certain points, then you might need to diagnose whether you're truly following him at all. If you can only seem to make it to a certain point that Jesus goes to and then you can't go any further, we might need a heart check. We might need to really look and see if we are seriously following him or not. These people only went so far with Jesus and they turned around and they walked back. And I see within these people, unfortunately, a scary similarity in a lot of professing disciples today. The Bible tells us these people were disciples. They professed to be disciples. They professed to be followers of Jesus. And I see a scary similarity in what we see in them and what we see modern day, and that's the reality that I think a lot of people have Jesus infatuation, but no Jesus consumption. Remember we talked about how at the beginning, church and following Jesus seems to be like a trendy thing now. It almost seems to be cool to go to church. It almost seems cool to be a Christian. It almost seems cool to follow Jesus, cool to be a part of worship, cool to be a part of a, a, a small group, cool to be a part of serving, cool to be a part of mission trips and all those things. And I'm afraid we've got a lot of infatuation, but no consumption. There's a lot of being infatuated with Jesus, but no consuming Jesus. And like this crowd, everybody wants to see the things. They want to be a part of all the things. They want to be close to the action. They want to hope that maybe in the course of all that taking place, Jesus might just pick them out to be a part of the act, so to speak. They might get to be, it's almost like a carnival. You know, have you ever been to the carnival? This happened to me one time, actually. It's the most embarrassing thing in my life. I hated every minute of it. But the clowns were doing their thing, and they started pulling volunteers out of the audience. And lo and behold, if one of them honkers didn't grab me and pull me out to do one of their little tricks. And I couldn't stand it and want to be no part of that. But it's almost like these people were kind of following around Jesus, hoping that Jesus would look out in the crowd and he'd say, hey, you, come here. Hey, hey, maybe you. Maybe I can do a healing for one of you. Hey, one of y'all got some sick people in your lives. Hey, who's got a demon in the house tonight? And it's almost like they're following him because so maybe they could be a part of the act. Maybe they could get in on a part of the show. It's this, it's this big infatuation. But when it came to actually taking him in, it was too much and they fell back. Listen, those of us who are saints, we should be consuming Jesus each and every day. 
consuming Him through His Word, consuming Him through worship, consuming Him through prayer, consuming Him through godly community. We should be able to relate like David in the Psalms who said, I hunger and thirst for the Lord. Why? Because we've tasted and we've seen that He is good. And that should be something we repeat day in and day out and day in and day out. When you wake up in the morning, what's one of the first things that you think? For me, it's I'm hungry. My stomach's growling. I need to eat. I need to get some cereal. I need, a, I need some Fruit Loops. I need some toaster paste. I need a Pop-Tart. I need a Nutri-Grain bar if I'm trying to be somewhat healthy with my morning activities. You wake up and you're hungry. We should wake up and hunger for the Lord like that. Every day when a Christian wakes up, the first thought should be, man, I'm hungry. I need some bread of life in my life this morning. And consume Him through your Word. Consume Him through accountability with other brothers and sisters in Christ. When you taste and see that He is good, there should be nothing else that we desire other than Him. But there's a whole other side to this consuming point that Jesus is making. And it's so amazing. This is the encouraging side of things to me. There's an old saying that states you are what you eat. Heard it before? In other words, what you consume will consume you. If you're not careful. A while back, I bumped into a buddy, and I hadn't seen him in quite a while. And it was kind of a cool meeting, man. We were happy to see each other. He's like, dude, what's up? He came running up to me, and he, he grabbed me a hug, and he slapped me on the stomach. He said, when'd you get that? I was like, excuse me? He's like, I thought only kangaroos had pouches. I was like, I think I remember why we stopped hanging out so much now. I'll be fine if I don't see you for the next five or ten years, as a matter of fact. But he starts poking at the fact that, yes, okay, I have put on a few pounds. Absolutely, 100%. I don't deny that. But it's mainly because I became what I was eating. What I was consuming was starting to consume me, and it took, I guess, the weird love and affection of a friend to point that out. And now I'm back in the gym. been going for the past two weeks all because of what he said, pretty much. But, you know, I began to think about that, and I was like, there's so much truth in that reality. I've seen people consume money only to be consumed by money. I've seen people consume sports only to be consumed by sports. I've seen people consume and want status only to be consumed by status. You are what you eat. What you consume will consume you. But here's the amazing part, though. Jesus shows us that it works just like this with him as well. So, so go back and look at verse 55. Man, I'm like giddy because I want you to hear it. Jesus says, for my flesh is, is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Here it is, here it is. Abides in me and I in him. You know what Jesus is saying? If you'll consume me, I'll consume you. You are what you eat. When we consume Jesus, when we consume Jesus, we, be, we become consumed by Jesus and with Jesus. He's all that we want. He's all that we think about. He's all that we desire. He becomes this insatiable craving that you cannot get enough of. You want to go back for more and more and more. And that's when it becomes so much more than infatuation. It becomes consumption in our life because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And because He is so good, because He is so great, because He is so grand, because He is so beyond anything else in this world that I have ever tasted or felt or experienced, I want more. I want to go back 
I want to each day spend time consuming Him. I want to eat His flesh. I want to drink His blood. How many times have you picked up the Word of God and become so consumed by it that you would literally want to take a bite out of the pages if you could to try and get it inside of your heart? I worship because I'm consumed with Jesus. I serve because I'm consumed with Jesus. I go because I'm consumed with Jesus. I give because I'm consumed with Jesus. I study because I'm consumed with Jesus. I pray because I'm consumed with Jesus. We share because we are consumed with Jesus. It's Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the evening, Jesus at supper time. We need parents who are consumed with Jesus. We need students who are consumed with Jesus. We need husbands who are consumed with Jesus. We need wives who are consumed with Jesus. We need teachers who are consumed with Jesus. We need coaches who are consumed with Jesus. We need doctors who are consumed with Jesus. We need nurses who are consumed with Jesus. We need mechanics who are consumed with Jesus. We need electricians who are consumed with Jesus. We need a church that is consumed with Jesus. It says after this, many turn back. They, they had had enough of Jesus. And so after that happens, Jesus turns to the disciples and he asks them, do you want to leave too? Do you want to go as well? And their response was, no way. No way. Where others had had enough, true disciples showed they can't get enough. They were serious about Jesus. We're serious about his call. Peter says, where, where can we go? Who else are we going to go to? And you have to understand what he's saying underneath that. He's saying, who can we go find that's better than you? Nobody, nobody gives life like you do. Nobody satisfies like you do. Nobody fulfills like you do. Why would we go anywhere else? I think Jesus' words are so fitting as we end this series together tonight. I think his question is so fitting. What do you want to do? Are you serious enough to keep following? Are you serious enough to keep going? Do you truly find me better than anything else this world has to offer? Will you continue to feed on me? Or do you want to find another source? your answer. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that he will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.